Yeah, Lord, we thank you this morning for paying the debt, God. We thank you that you have come to light a fire inside of us. And not just some fire that can be contained within a church building, God, but you have come to do something within the hearts of the people in this room that will spill out into the city. It will spill out into our jobs. It will spill out into our families. God, I thank you that you have come to do something here that is going to transform the world out there, God. And we don't believe that you are a God that is detached from everyday life. And so we pray, God, as we begin to open this word and as we begin to worship together today, we pray that you would do something in us, God, that would be so big that it cannot be just contained in religious environments, but that it would spill out into our real lives in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, But yeah, man, we're glad you're here. Our heart at the fringe, if this is your first time, our heart is to reach those that are on the fringe of society and to enter into the life of Jesus. Uh, like I, Even like I prayed, you know, that what happens in this room and in this space, it can't be contained in this space. We don't believe in a detached God that is just here with these people during this time. Uh, God's only available between 10 and 12 on Sunday. If it's a Wednesday, like it's 7 to, what is it, 7 to 9, right? Uh, if you got a midweek. We don't, we, don't, we don't buy that, that idea. We don't buy that philosophy. And we believe that Jesus uh, is everywhere all the time. And God is interested in what's happening in people's lives outside of this building. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. A uh, couple quick announcements. And I'm just going to ask anybody to come up. It doesn't matter who it was or, or who it is. Anybody that went with us this past uh, Wednesday to Haven House, would you like to just tell them how that went and what, what, that, what that was like? Anybody other than me, come on down. <laughs> So last week when we went to the Haven House, um, I it was surreal for me because I used to stay there. And it was um, so nice to go back and serve and tell them about the Lord and tell them my story to give them hope. Um, they were very appreciative. I was able to give them some information on housing. And Miss um, Joy is the lady who runs the Haven House that makes the dinners and feeds everybody. And it was so nice to be able to turn around and serve her um, because she has served me for about two and a half months. So it was nice to be able to give back. Like you have no idea how much it excites me to see you to see you go back in there. Not just me, not just my wife, but to see somebody. And this is the powerful thing that's happening at this church. And it's not because I'm this great speaker and like we're special, but God is doing something amazing here. And and what I love about what he's doing amazing here is he's transforming people's lives who are in some really dark stuff. And they're not just like getting okay and figuring their life out and just forgetting, like forgetting about where they came from. They're finding healing, they're finding restoration, but they're going back into those same environments. She was in that homeless shelter, and now she's going back into that environment. We have people here that have been incarcerated that are going back into the penitentiary. And so to me, like that stuff is amazing. And that's that's what Jesus is all about. He's all about full circle redemption, you know. And, and, and it's not just in those drastic examples. I think no matter what you're coming out of, no matter what your, what your past is, like there's a healthy level of distance. Like you need to get away and like, Don't just jump back into that stuff, like deal with wisdom. Uh, But man, I'll tell you, like God wants to use your story and use what you've gone through. It doesn't all have to be a loss. So if you're not familiar, uh, the Haven House, it's a homeless shelter for families so they don't have to split the families up so the kids can stay with the family. Uh, We're going to be a regular presence in there. We don't want to just, and this is big with everything that we do in terms of outreach. 
we don't want to just be a uh, charity. We want to empower people, right? We want to give people the tools like, yeah, here's compassion. You need bread. We're going to give you bread, but we're going to help you stand up and help you learn how to get bread. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? And so for everybody, that the way you do that is different, but just know that's our heart. And no, don't believe the lie with any of the outreach stuff that we do. Hey, I've never been to prison. I was never homeless. That's a lie. That's not what people, people don't just need another dramatic story. People need compassion, man. They just need people who care and people who love them and are willing to walk with them through life. So don't let that fear of, well, I didn't go through anything dramatic, so I can't go. That's not true. It's not true. God, I thank you today that you are the God of the oppressed you are the God of the broken. You are the God of the widow, the prisoner, the homeless, the orphan, those who feel disconnected, those who don't know what they believe, those who are wandering the streets of Hamilton right now, struggling with addiction, living in abandoned homes. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the God, not just of us in this room, but you're the God of all those people. And every day you're calling, you're reaching, you're beckoning them to come and enter the way of life. Lord, I pray that you speak to us, that you would un help us to unlearn the things that we've believed about you that are not true this morning. I pray that you would disrupt our worldview this morning through this message. You would disrupt our view of you. You would disrupt our view of other people outside this building. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Whew, man, I'm telling you. Get ready. Uh, this message to me, like... Like, I, I've taught on this particular topic several times before, but some of the things that jumped out to this, uh, with this message really, I think it really put a clear picture to who God is calling the French church to be. And so uh, we're going to get into some Jewish history this morning. We're going to get into some stuff that was happening in Jesus' day. And what does it mean for today? Because you always have to ask yourself, you could spend all this time reading the Bible you always have to ask yourself, what does this mean for today, right here, right now? Because let's be honest, if it doesn't mean anything for when you walk out of this building, it's pretty empty and pretty hollow. Would you agree? Uh, Jesus is walking the earth. He's establishing his disciples. He's, you know, building his base uh, and he's traveling with a couple of his disciples. If you have your Bible today, we're going to be reading uh, from a couple different places, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. If you have a, a app on your phone, you can pull it up there. Uh, if you don't have an app, you can just go open a tab and just type in BibleGateway.com. That's a good one. I like that. It has all the different translations. You just punch in the, the verse at the top. So Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. This is what happens. Here we go. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So Jesus is walking with his disciples. If you're not familiar with this story, with the Bible, the temple, like that was the, that was the center of religious life in Jesus's time. That was a place people went to connect with God. That was uh, the social center, the political center. I mean, it was really kind of a mixture of everything uh, at that time. And that's where people went to connect with God. It was the equivalent of what we consider a church building, but just on a much larger, grander scale. And so this building was incredible. Uh, and, and, and so Jesus... The disciples that were following him, they say, uh, historically speaking, these guys, they, 
I don't know about you, but when I used to hear Jesus' disciples, like, I just used to always think of some old man with like a beard, right? They always have beards in the picture, and like it's some old man. But historically speaking and, and factually speaking, Jesus' disciples were in their late teens, so they were teenagers, or they were in their early 20s. And most of them came from these uh, fishing villages that were outside of Jerusalem. So you just got to imagine it's kind of like the equivalent. Uh, we live in Seven Mile right now. I don't know if you know where Seven Mile is. It's seven miles away. <laughs> Hence the Seven Mile. Uh, seven Mile is this like small little village. You know what I mean? There's literally like one store. It's called the Seven Mile Market. Uh, they were so excited. They opened the Dollar General, man. It was, you would have you thought like aliens came down from, from space, man. People were excited. Dollar General, you know what I mean? But I'll tell you what, when you live out there, it's kind of nice because you can get this or that. You don't have to drive 20 minutes. And I, and I imagine like the situation of Jesus taking his disciples from these uh, small fishing villages into Jerusalem to see this massive epic temple that they probably heard about their whole entire lives as kids. I imagine it's like a kid who grew up in Seven Mile and had never been anywhere. Like he, he literally, that's all he ever did. You know what I mean? He rode four wheelers, you know, wore camel every day, you know, uh, never been out of Seven Mile, you know, hunted, just no, 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 no concept of the city. I just imagine like uh, somebody picking that kid up and saying, hey man, tomorrow I'm going to take you somewhere. Guess where we're going? I'm going to take you to Times Square in New York City. You know, I just, I just imagine these disciples, wow, man, we've heard about this place. This place is amazing. Jesus, look at these stones, man. It's incredible. Can you believe this? They were just in awe and they're struck uh, by this whole thing. And, and, and the thing about this thing, this temple was, this temple wasn't just any temple. This temple wasn't just like a house, you know. Some of these houses, the way they build them, they are garbage, man. You spend $300,000. You see the way they put these, aren't they? The way they put some of these houses together, I know because I do construction. It's unbelievable. This temple took 46 years to build. Can you imagine? Oh, we're going to do a little renovation. How long is it going to take? Uh, I don't know, 46 years. This building was so magnificent that they had around 10,000 laborers, 10,000 people. Can you imagine? I've been on some of these job sites. Anybody here that has experience doing construction, you ever been on a job site? There's just too many people there. Uh, just too many people here. You guys got to go. We gotta, we're trying to paint this. You're cutting wood over here. You got to go. Got to go. Uh, I just imagine that site, you know. And, and these disciples and these people were surrounded by these magnificent sculptures. They weren't far from the great pyramids of Egypt. Just imagine the pyramids. You know, they grew up hearing about these huge, massive buildings. There was also which was what was called the Temple of Artemis. This was a temple to a false god, and it was in a city called Ephesus. And in that city, like this temple was so huge and so ma uh, massive and so incredible, it was considered one of the, eight, the seven uh, wonders of the world. It was incredible. And so so when they say to Jesus, hey, man, can you believe this temple? Like they weren't just like, oh, they got some cool drywall. That's a nice paint color. Like it was far above and beyond what was happening there. This temple was so massive that some of the stones in the, and they, the disciples even comment on the stones. Some of the stones in the temple weighed 50 tons. Now, again, back to the whole construction thing. We've got backhoes. You know what I mean? We have cranes. Can you imagine building a building that has stones that are 50 tons without any of that modern machinery? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so these disciples, when they say that, they're like, man, Jesus, have you seen this? Have you seen this? It's incredible. It's incredible. And Jesus says something very, very disturbing to them. He says, hey, I want you to know as grand as this thing is, 
There's not one stone that's going to be left on another. And according to history, in the year 70 AD, that massive building that had stones that were between 50 and 80 tons, that it was thousands of them, thousands of them, that building was destroyed. And the only thing left is what we know as the Western Wall. It was completely destroyed. And so it happened. It happened. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. Again, Jesus is coming back to the same temple. This is a little later in the story. And he was coming back to this temple during a certain time. There was a certain time of the year in Jewish culture called the Passover. Now, the Passover of all the Jewish holidays and all and all the all the religious like days, like they had holy days. The Passover was like the epic, like holy day of all holy days. And people would literally, they would literally come for thousands of miles. They would travel through sea. They would travel through the mountains. like, And they had to obey all these religious laws in order to be able to go into the temple. So there was one road that they would have to walk through through the mountains that was very rocky and it was hard to walk through. And if you tripped and you stepped into the cemetery, you were considered unclean and you couldn't go to the temple. And so just imagine like all this religious pressure, thousands of people traveling from all over the world Coming to this place, historically speaking, they say that there was there was close to a million people that would come to this thing once a year. Can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever been to like a real busy place. Uh, I've had the privilege of going to some pretty big world cities, uh, doing music and speaking. I've been to L.A. I've been to uh, New York City. I've been to Sydney, Australia. I've been to London. Like, and if you've ever been in one of those environments where you're literally like sardines, is there anybody like have? A problem with tight spaces and you don't like people in your bubble anybody here i wouldn't recommend going there uh it's 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 just chaos right and so what would happen when these people would come and and every type of person would come rich people would come poor people would come middle class people would come people who were just trying to figure out this god thing would come there would be people from every region and every part of the world that would come to this thing and what they would have to do is re no matter where they came from. So these people, they came from different cities and different regions. And just like today, those different cities and regions have different money. And you couldn't just come into the temple and say, hey, man, here's my uh, American dollar. You know what I mean? Let me get one of them doves. I want to sacrifice something. Hey, I want a bull, man. Here's here's $100. You know, you couldn't do that. You had to take your, your currency from whatever village you were from, and you had to exchange that for the, the accepted temple currency, right? And so what would happen is there was this table. You would come in. You would bring your money. And if you were poor, if you were a widow, or you were someone who couldn't afford much, you would buy a certain animal to sacrifice. And those animals were doves and turtle doves. And so they were cheap. They were like the, you know, the pigeons, the, the rats outside. You know what I mean? Hey, here's my uh, little shekel. You know, let me get one of those doves. And so they would come to that place. And those people that worked in the temple, they were called the money changers. And what they would do is they saw an opportunity to make a lot of money off people who, who had religious devotion. They saw an opportunity to use their authority to exploit people and, and, to, and to take advantage of people. I know that's a, that, that never happens in America today, people being taken advantage of and exploited. Uh, thank God we live in a place where that doesn't happen. But, uh, but they would come to the table, they'd exchange it, and, and, and they would charge them this huge amount of tax huge amount of tax. And the crazy thing was, so say, okay, I walked up, hey man, I'll take two of them doves. Here's my $20, grab the doves. You weren't done. You had to go to another table called the table of judges where they would sit there. Just, I just imagine like the Supreme Court, you know, big old wood wall behind you. We are the table of judges, you know? And they would inspect your offering. 
So even though their homie down the down the way sold you the thing, like, really, dude? Why do you have to inspect it if your homeboy down the street just sold it to me? Aren't you guys together? And so they would, you would take it, you would set it down on the table, and they would inspect the animal. If there was anything wrong with it, they would say, hey, man, that's not acceptable. You got to go back down there. And so just imagine people who were poor that barely had enough, had traveled, spent all their money to get there one time a year. They give them that money, and, oh, that's not good. That's, that's what you're bringing to God is not good enough. It's not accepted here. And Jesus sees all this stuff happening. This is the story in, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. But I want to give you some context so you understand. Here we go. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle. Notice the difference in animals because these different animals mean they're for different types of people who have different amounts of money. Cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. I love this version of Jesus. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I get tired of like the, you know, the Jesus with the long gold hair and the beauty pageant sash. And he always has that like mopey look on his face. You know, like this Jesus is sitting here like premeditated. And in one other, one other uh, part of this story in another part of scripture, it says that he was weaving this, this like whip. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like Jesus is not like, he's not here to like beat you down. Like, but he saw this system. He saw what was being done to people in the name of God. And it says that he's, he, he starts uh, making this whip. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Again, Jesus is like, this is like Rage Against the Machine. Like, turn on the electric guitar. Like, let's get it, man. You know what I mean? I've had enough of this. Like, he's throwing tables. Money's going everywhere. He's not like, oh, that's not nice. No, Jesus is like, hey, you know, he's throwing stuff. So he flips the tables. He freaks out. Uh, to those, listen what he says, to those who sold doves, he didn't say anything to the ones selling cattle. To those who sold doves, he says, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Who are you, Jesus, to come in here and disrupt our religious church service? You know, let me just stop there. You know, sometimes Jesus just wants to interrupt church. He really does. And it's not just here at the friends. Like there, there's church services that are happening all over the world that God just he just wants to he wants to disrupt them because it's I know this is a shocking idea. This is a shocking concept, but it's possible for us to miss the point sometimes. And sometimes Jesus wants to come in and remind us, hey, man, you guys are missing the point. So what authority, Jesus, do you have to do all this? Why are you flipping our tables? Jesus answered them and says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus says, it's authority. this is the authority I have. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. See, they, they thought he was talking about their, their religious building. And, you know, that's part of one of the main reasons why they executed Jesus, was he was a threat to their religious system. He was a threat to the Roman government. 
He was a threat to the socio-political climate in that day. He was a threat to the religious structure of that day. Jesus was a problem uh, for the people who were doing the exploiting of the other people. He was a problem. And they, and they wanted to shut him down. They wanted to shut him down. And so when Jesus says about their temple, that was like considered their most holy thing. Hey, man, don't talk about that. Don't touch that. The moment he said that, it, if you read in other portions of the scripture, it says, then they began to plot to kill him. They started planning to kill him, right? And so when Jesus says this, hey, man, like this temple, this thing that you think is so huge and so magnificent, like I'm here to tear it down. When Jesus said he's greater and what he was doing by saying, hey, destroy this temple. You know what he was saying? He was saying, hey, guys, I know you're like transfixed on this huge, massive building back here. And you're so amazed at all the stones and all the money and the labor that went into this thing. And I know this is like your religious uh, epicenter of your, your life. And I know this is the most important thing to you. And people travel from thousands of miles. And, and this thing has become so huge. I want you to know, like, I'm greater than this thing. And, 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 and we read that, we, we, we read that today and we say, yeah, of course, of course Jesus is greater than the temple. But back then that would have been a shocking seismic shift in the Jewish consciousness of that day. That would have been one of the most offensive things you could possibly hear of that day. Jesus was saying, hey, everything, and I, I want you to think about this. What he's essentially saying to them is everything that you built your life on, everything that you put your time and your devotion in, this is way bigger than church, right? Everything that you based your life on, I want you to know that like I'm Neo and I'm here to pull you out of the matrix. This whole reality that you bought into, this way of seeing the world and seeing people and seeing God, I want you to know that I'm here to pull you out of it. And everything that you based your life on is a lie. This whole religious structure is coming down. Everything you base your faith, connection with God, your politics, your social systems is wrong. It's toxic. It's destroying you. So I'm here to destroy what's destroying you. You know, that, that's what Jesus is about today. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is here to destroy what is destroying you and I. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to rebuild. It talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, there's sometimes, there's some things that we've built and, and things that we thought were important. How many people can agree with this? But five years ago, right? Or five years later, things I thought were important five years ago, I look at it now and think that, that didn't mean anything. Why was I spending so much time? There's a time to rebuild and there's a time to tear down the temple. And this is the interesting part. The temple, during that time, it was meant to be the place where heaven and earth meet, right? This was, temple. This, was, this was the temple. This is where God was supposed to be at. This was the place where people are supposed to come and connect with God. The temple was meant to be a place where heaven and earth meet, but what happened? The temple became a place where hell was unleashed. A few people who were in charge, and this is true historical fact, you can look, at, go look this up. The people who were in charge of the temple, they were siphoning money into the pockets of a few wealthy families because they knew if you controlled the temple, you controlled a good portion of the economy, the religion, and the political influence. Again, I'm thankful that doesn't happen anymore today. Uh, so thankful we don't live in a world where that's possible. Uh, Jesus was coming against this corrupt institution. He was speaking truth to power and he was raging against the machine. This temple had become this raging military industrial complex that was impressing the people of God. And when Jesus, when he called that thing out and he opposed that thing, he became a target. When he says the temple is coming down, he's saying this is no longer the place 
where heaven and earth meet. It's no longer the place where the poor and the broken are taken care of. For thousands of years at that time, people have been building temples. And temples during that time, they were important because they were a tactile way that you could say, hey, this is a sacred space when we come here. I believe to some extent, I know we're in the YMCA and there's a lot of really nice colors around. Uh, but this is, I believe this is a temple. I believe when we come together, like this is a sacred space. And temples were important in that day and they're important now. But if you spend too much time in a temple, you know what happens? It creates a divided life in your mind and your spirit. And you start unconsciously believing that God is only present during this place during with, with these people during this time. And if you spend so much time in that temple, what happens is you start believing that this is the only place where things are happening. There's this place I go to church, you know, those people at the fringe, when I'm there, I feel good, man, I feel connected to God. And then there's the rest of my life. There's the shopping, the groceries, you know what I mean, paying my bills, going to my job. And, and, and you can start living a divided life that some things are sacred and some things are not, which is not true. It's not true. Having a temple it helps you conceive something as holy. And what it does is it divides spaces. And again, that could be a good thing. That could be a good thing. Uh, Sarah and I and the rest of us here, we're committed to building temples and tearing them down. Building temples and tearing them down. There's going to be, if you're growing in your walk with God, there's going to be certain ways of thinking and there's going to be certain views that you have of God and of people that you'll outgrow those things. I saw this incredible thing online. It was an analogy. I think one of you guys here shared it. And it was a guy, he had a, he had a, like a water bottle of water and there was like the cap of water. And he said, you know, some of you guys are kind of like this, this cap. You're surrounded by people who can only contain this much water. They can't contain everything that's inside of you, right? And I think that's the same, the same is true with our view of God. If we're not careful and we just build temples and build these ways of thinking, we can, we can, we can constrain ourselves to a much lower level than we're meant to live at. I believe when you're walking with God, you outgrow things. You do. You do. You outgrow things. You grow out places, people, religious structures and institutions, ways of thinking. There's some things when you're, when you're growing, there's some things that just don't fit anymore. You know, there's things I used to be comfortable with five years ago that I'm not comfortable with today. There's environments I used to be comfortable with that I'm no longer comfortable with, right? And so in this time, again, the disciples are like, wow, Jesus, look at this temple. It's amazing. Can you see this? What's a modern day analogy of this? What's a modern day analogy of this? They lived in a world where the size, now listen to me, the size of religious buildings were very important. The hype and amount of people showing up was very important. Again, very, very different, very different from the day that we live in. Uh, what would that sound like today? Wow, Jesus. Wow, man. Wow. Did you see that church? It's amazing. Did you see their lights? I mean, Jesus, you would have thought you were in Las Vegas. Did you see the sights? Did you see how many people were showing up? Jesus, did you see their promo? I mean, Jesus, it was perfect. Like, they had the right fonts, you know what I mean? And their sound guy, Jesus, I'm telling you, there wasn't even any of that weird high hissing when a dude was playing. And those people on stage, man, they really looked nice, man. They had the really like super white teeth and like their hair was perfect. Jesus, man, this place is amazing. Can you believe it? Jesus, it's incredible. Even the greeters, man, they were perfect. You ever gone to a church like that? Yeah, they were perfect, man. I feel like a weirdo. I feel like an alien walking in here. <laughs> Jesus, isn't it magnificent? 
and, and, I, and I had this thought when I was putting this together. Could it be possible that the things that the American church has become so awe and enamored by are not even remotely interesting to Jesus? I love the, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, I love the arrogance that we have that, man, those people over there in those other countries, man, they really have missed the point. Or, man, these disciples, they were so stupid. They were sitting there right with Jesus. How could they be so obsessed with this when you're sitting there right with Jesus? I love the arrogance that sometimes we have that it could happen over there, but there's no way it could possibly happen in this country. There's no way us in 21st century Western Christianity, it's, it's impossible for us to have missed the point. It's impossible for us to have missed the point. Jesus places his own body and who he is above the temple building, which they consider blasphemous. The moment he said that, they started to plot to kill him. There's no way we've lost the plot, you know? God save us from, from, the, from believing that it's impossible for us to lose the plot sometimes, right? God save us from the, believing that we can't miss the point that it's not possible for it to happen for us. There's no way we can lose the plot. Uh, in the first century temple, wh what was happening is the smoke was mixing. And what I mean by that was they would offer sacrifices and the smoke would go up and God, if it, was, if it was a sacrifice that was offered from the right place, it would be pleasing to God. But it said during that time that they would offer sacrifices to God and sacrifices to idols. And what would happen is the smoke would mix. The smoke would mix darkness Darkness was invited to the place meant for light. God and government became one. You know, in that time, God and government became one. Again, I know this is a very, this is a very, uh, thank God this cannot happen in this country. But politics and, and religion and, and just the toxicity, can we just acknowledge no matter where you stand on the political spectrum this, this morning, let me tell you this, you're welcome here, I'm glad you're here. My role as, as your pastor is not to convince you to go any direction with any of that stuff. I don't believe in pressuring people to do any of that stuff. But can we just all acknowledge no matter where you stand on that spectrum that that, that stuff has become toxic, right? All you gotta do is log into social media, you know what I mean, see that stuff. The way people are hitting each other in the head with rocks, you know, it's just, it's become so toxic. And, 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 and I, thank, I thank God for this story because it shows me that it's possible for things to change. It's possible that things don't have to be that way. In that time, the, the priests that were running the temple, they were in bed with the Roman government. And what I mean by that is they were, they were like, they were doing back, backhanded deals and, and giving those politicians access to do this. Like those priests in that time, they had great uh, spiritual authority. They had great religious authority and they also had great political authority. In fact, they've excavated some of these homes of these religious leaders who ran the priests, uh, ran the temple in Jesus' day. And you know, they found $5,000 bottles of wine under some of these guys' house. And again, that would be amazing today if you had that. But back in that day, like if you had a $5,000 bottle of wine, like that, that was considered, considered extreme wealth. So what they were doing was they were using people's religious devotion to line their own pockets, to, to take advantage of people, right? And, and so they had these, in fact, it got so bad at one point, there was these things called the temple booths where they would go and they would pay their religious tax. And what would happen, they would pay their taxes and it got so bad, they were taking advantage of, of people so much that there was a riot. And you can read this, there's a, a first century historian, his name's Josephus. And he talks about this, that it got so bad that they actually rioted and they went and dragged those people out of those temple booths and they killed them because they were tired of being ripped off. 
Like, that's how bad it had gotten. Again, it's very different from our day. The temple became about power, influence, position, hierarchy, and control. The, pay, the place meant to bring heaven to earth was bringing hell to earth. And again, I could go on and on about that, but they lost the plot. They lost the point for what they were doing, right? And these people who were genuinely trying to connect with God, there was all these things being held in front of them. They were being judged. They were being kept at a distance. They were being uh, held at a distance. And even when they came into the temple, it was still never good enough. I don't know. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that you're just not good enough? That maybe, you know what I mean? If I look like him or I look like her, maybe maybe if I jump through all these religious hopes, then, hoops, then maybe God would accept me. I want to tell you unequivocally this morning that when you step in this building, and I know we're just in the YMCA, but when you come into this building, when you come around us, let me just remind you that there is no judgment table at the French Church. There's not. It's not going to happen. I don't care what type of stuff you're dealing with. I don't care how deep and dark your battle is. You'd be amazed at people sitting next to you, some of the stuff that they've gone through. There is no judgment table at this place. There's not. There's not. And so Jesus sees this. He's enraged by it. And he flips the temple and he said, you've, you've taken a place that was meant for good and you've turned it into a place of darkness. I want to close with this last thought. Matthew verse 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 through 54. So Jesus goes to the temple with his disciples, they see this big building. Wow, Jesus, isn't this amazing? No, actually, it's not. <laughs> Jesus goes into the temple, flips the table. Hey, this place that was meant to be a place of light has become a place of darkness. This is not what I'm about. Eventually, Jesus is executed. And when he's crucified, something really interesting happens. And all this is connected. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Matthew, verse 27, 45 through 54. I'm going to read it. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. This is right as he's being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had, who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely, like... I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine being those guys. Like, you just crucified this dude. Like, you just, you literally just drove spikes into his wrists and to his feet. You know what I mean? You tortured him for how many hours? You know what I mean? You wrongfully convicted him. You sentenced, sentenced uh, him to death, and you realized that you just crucified the son. Of, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like to go through that. But back to the temple, back to everything Jesus said, back to what he said about the temple. In the temple, there was a certain place where... They believe God was at. So you, 
I want you to imagine a temple. It's like a series of rings. So you got an outer ring, which is, would be the outer court. You've got the inner ring, which is the temple court. And then the very inside, you have what's called the Holy of Holies. And there, were, there was this room that nobody was allowed to go in. This was like the place where God was at. And there was this huge, massive curtain. They called it a veil. And this curtain was so thick. It was, it was uh, historically speaking, they said it was about four feet thick. I don't know about you, but that is a massive massive curtain and i think it was what was it 60 yes yeah, 60 feet tall by 30 feet wide just imagine a curtain i don't know if anybody here likes to make curtains but just imagine a curtain that size four feet thick they said if this thing had to be washed it took 100 priests to wash this thing it was huge like it was massive they said the plies that they used to make the curtain they were 72 layers thick like it's it was incredible and once a year the priest would go into that place they would tie a rope around his ankle and if he had any unconfessed sin in his life, if he was living some shady double life, the moment that dude walked into that to offer sacrifices for all the people, he would go in there once a year and he would offer sacrifices for the sins of Israel. And if he went in there and he wasn't right, he would drop dead. And the reason why they tied the rope around, they weren't going in there after him. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know about you, but hey, dude drops dead. There's some weird stuff going on there. I ain't going in there to get him. Tie a rope around us, you know, that's just common sense. You know, that's some, that's some hillbilly ingenuity right there. Hey, hey, right? Hey, I ain't going in there. Hey, get a rope, Billy. You know what I mean? They tied a rope around his neck. I'm not going in there. And so he would go in there once a year and he would offer these sacrifices. And you got to understand like the gravity of this curtain. Like this place was considered so holy, like nobody went in there once a year. And it says that when Jesus was crucified, when he died, when he gave up the spirit, it says that this curtain, which would have been physically, humanly impossible, it says it was torn from the top from the bottom, and I think that's really unique. It says from the top. It doesn't say from the bottom to the top. It says from the top to the bottom. Who's at the top? God. You know who was tearing the veil? It was God. It was God's way of saying, hey, this thing that Jesus said about the temple, this thing that Jesus said that said this whole religious institution has become corrupt, like this wall that's been separating you for all these centuries, I want you to know that I've come to tear it down. And so that curtain just, it just rips open. You know what I mean? Just This massive curtain takes a hundred people to watch it just torn immediately the moment Jesus died and not only is it that would be creepy enough because I don't know about you but if I grew up around that culture I grew up around that and I heard about people dying in there that curtain comes open and I'm anywhere near it I'm running dude I'm out of here right come on let's just have some common sense for a minute right ain't no way I'm standing what, what was God saying when that thing was torn he was saying hey this place that you think I've been containing I want you to know that I'm I'm coming out I'm coming out and not only am I coming out, but I'm inviting the whole world in. And it's real interesting when that happens. Not only does that veil get torn, but it says that the earth begins to shake. There was an earthquake, and the earthquake was so epic that it like shook the graves of people who had died and, and the people who were dead. Come on, some of us were dead in this room. The earth began to shake, your life began to shake, and you came back to life, and all the city saw it, man. Like that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is not just about establishing these religious buildings and all this religious hierarchy, like he's about tearing that curtain, whatever that curtain is that's separating you from God, whatever it is that you feel is holding you back, maybe it's your own sin and your own struggle, God wants you to know that, hey man, I'm here, I'm coming out, I'm coming out, and you are accepted, and you are loved, and I've come to tear down the thing that's tearing you down, I want you to know that there's a place for every single one of you and those of you that feel dead, those of you that feel connected, those of you that feel lost, those of you that feel trapped in cycles and situations that you can't get out of. I want you to know that I will shake the earth. I will bring those things that are dead to life in you. Jesus has come to destroy the temple. 
He's ushering in a whole new era. That's what he's doing, man. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. As big as the temple was, Jesus was saying that a new thing is happening with my death and resurrection. God is making his home not with a building, but within human bodies. I don't know about you, but that, that, that is scary and it's exciting. This God who created the heavens and earth, think about that for a moment. The God who spoke stars and galaxies into existence, who had, you know, the only one person a year could go into this because he was so holy. He told Moses in, in, in the Old Testament that Moses, like, I'm going to show you, like, I am so huge. Moses asked, God, show me who you are. Show me what you look like. Like, you got to give me something to wrap my mind around. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And he tells Moses, like, I'm so huge and I'm so massive that I can't show you what I look like, but I can show you where I was just at. Like that's all our little frail three-pound brain can comprehend is to see where God was just at. A God who is so big that stars and galaxies come out of his mind. The God that's so big that creates like black holes. You know what I mean? I mean, it's incredible to think about. You know what they say sometimes when you look out into the stars at night, some of that light you're seeing are stars that have died a long time ago and the light is just reaching you. Like that came out of God's mind. And that God who is so huge that creates oceans and babies, you know what I mean? He's saying, hey, no longer am I going to dwell in these buildings and these temples, but I'm going to dwell in those people at the French church that society has written off. And I'm going to do something so incredible in their lives that it's going to shake the world around them. That's what God wants to do with you today. That's what he wants to do with me. He doesn't want us just to settle for building more buildings and just religious structures and just all this hollow, empty, religious posturing. But God wants to live inside of us. And when we allow him to live inside of us, it creates an earthquake, man. I'm going to tell you, it'll create an earthquake. There's even a verse that says, you are God's temple. You are God's temple. I want to close with this thought. I'll have ask Graham to come up. I was reading a story about this guy who met this lawyer when he was in prison and he basically uh, became friends with this lawyer and this lawyer helped him to eventually get out of prison and he was in a very brutal prison in Texas and this was like back in I think in the 50s or 60s real interesting article and this is back when they would have like the you know they were, they were literally picking cotton in the fields like in the prison uh they were you know making their own outfits they still do some of this stuff uh but there was one line in this in this article that just blew my mind and it was this he talked about how they were they were put to work to build the fences and walls that confine them like they, they were put to work in this prison environment and part of their job was to build the walls and the razor wire and the fences that confine them. And that just really spoke to me. And what it told me is it told me this. God, I felt God speak to me in that moment. He said, hey, Patrick, be careful. Remind your people to be careful because if we're not careful, we can build the very walls that confine us. We can build the very things that confine us. And just be careful that you always invite me back into that temple because the moment that thing gets to a certain place, 
Patrick, just give me, give me the permission to come down once in a while and tear it up. And so, Jesus, we just acknowledge that this morning. We bow our heads. We, we acknowledge before you today that we don't want you, uh, we don't want to just build a fringe in our own strength and our own power. But, God, we want you to build the house because we know that you can build a temple far more greater than something we could build, God. Help us to never settle for empty, lifeless religion, Jesus. Remind us that we are the temple. Remind us that when Jesus died, that God has come out of the, he's come out of the room. No longer will he be contained and that you've come, you've come out of the Holy of Holies. You've, you've torn down the wall that separates us from you. And God, speak to my friends here this morning that are struggling with walls that they feel like separates them from you. And I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would just tear it down, God, whatever it is, rip it from top to bottom and remind them that there is nothing that they could do to escape your presence. They could ascend to the highest heights. They could descend into the pit of a living hell. And God, you are still there. There is nowhere we could flee your presence. Remind us, God, that when that veil was torn, that Jesus, the spirit of God, the life of God is now everywhere. And if it's everywhere, that it means you are everywhere. God, save us from a divided spirituality that just sees you present in religious gatherings and sees you present here on Sunday. Save us from that shallow, small-minded view of who you are, God. Remind us that the earth is filled with your glory, God. And you want to use the people in this room, God. Remind those in this room that feel insignificant. Remind those in this room that feel like they have too many flaws and too many things that they're struggling with. Remind them, God, that you may be calling them to be the earthquake, God. That you are not done with them. You have not given up on them, God. And you are going to do something so great, so powerful in their hearts, and their minds, and their lives that it's going to shake the world around them. And so, Jesus, that's what we pray for. We pray for. Give us the courage as the fringe to stand up to religious culture in this region. God, lies that are keeping people away from you. Give us the courage to speak truth to power, even if it's other religious power, God. Give us the, give us the courage to stand up for those who are broken, those who are oppressed, those who are forgotten. Remind us, God, that you are the word that became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And so, Jesus, I pray, God, this morning that you would move into our hearts, you would move into our minds in a way that we have never felt before. I pray, God, that you would make your residence with us. God, you say that when we abide with you, you will abide with us. And God, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives inside of us. That same earth-shaking power, that same life-giving power that brought sight to blind eyes, that healed lepers, that raised people up, that were in that were cutting themselves with rocks and chained in cemeteries. That same power that took people who felt insane and brought peace and clarity to their mind. God, I pray that you bring that same peace and clarity to some of us this morning. Those of us who feel like we're not good enough, God, remind us that the temple of God is now within the human heart. And when you see us, when you look at us, you don't just see our flaws, you don't just see our failures, but you see your own image. You have made us in your image. And I pray that you would remind those in this room that struggle with that. Remind them that they are loved, that they are embraced, and that you are waiting, God. The door, the door has already been opened. You're just inviting them to come in, to come in, to come in. God, give us the courage. to look at those things in our lives that we've been enamored with by just like the disciples. Remind us of those things that we've made important in our lives that are not important. What are those things that we've placed importance on? What are those things that we've been giving our time and our energy to that are just not important?
important? What are those What are those temples we've built that just don't matter? God, help us. Give us the courage to tear them down. Give us the courage to tear them down. Lord, we just acknowledge that we need you this morning. We need you. No matter how some of us, how long some of us have been walking with you, God, I've been walking with you for a little while, and I still need you the same as I did the moment I believed, God. No, no matter where you're at today, just say to him in your own ways, and he's, God's listening, man. He's listening. Say in your own way, God, I need you. And I don't care if you've been walking with him for a day, or, or maybe you don't know what you believe, or you've been walking this thing for 20 years. Just acknowledge, God, I need you. And something happens when he sees our need, when we're willing to have the courage and the guts to acknowledge, hey, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I'm like those people that were in the cemetery. I feel dead. I feel lost. I feel broken. And Lord, I, I, I acknowledge I need you. I need you. I need you, Jesus. When we can acknowledge our need for him, when we can desire him more than just religion, the earth around us will begin to shake. God, I pray for all of us here this morning. What are those dead areas in us? I pray that you'll bring us back to life. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.